Do you want to find solutions on how to make decisions faster, how to solve problems with your teams, or define a clear strategy that resonates with your staff and customers? There is a workshop for that. Hello there, I'm Nati Ravez, founder of La Workshopeuse. I'm a collaboration consultant and workshop facilitator, member of an amazing workshopper community. In this podcast, I meet them to get the best advice on facilitation and I'll let leaders and managers speak to understand the challenges they are facing. Welcome to the show. Ever wondered what sets apart a respected and trusted leader? It's not just about numbers and outcomes, but about crafting an environment where your team can truly flourish, excel and release the journey. Imagine a workplace where collaboration flows effortlessly, creativity is abundant, and each individual's strengths are celebrated. Now, let's uncover the recipe for this exceptional leadership style. It's a philosophy that our guest today, Douglas Ferguson, not only understands, but has seamlessly integrated into his incredible journey. Meet the president of Voltage Control, an accomplished author with best-selling books like Magical Meeting and the voice behind the Control the Room podcast. Today, we'll dive into his unique insights, glean from his experiences, and explore the fire that ignited Voltage Control's creation. Welcome, Douglas Ferguson. <laughs> Hi, Douglas. What a pleasure to meet you. You as well. It's great to be here. I've been looking forward to chatting with you about my favorite topic. The facilitation topic. I mean, such a skilled facilitator with over 26 years experience. Mm. Does that make us old? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm reminded often that uh, I'm not as young as I used to be. <laughs> <laughs> So you're the president of Voltage Control, a facilitation academy that trains leaders through certification, workshops, and organizational coaching focused on mastering facilitation. You are also the author of four books, among them Magical Meetings that I have uh, close to me in the room. You also host the podcast Control the Room, in which you talk with professionals from different sectors about meetings culture and how to run magical meetings. And I've read some very good articles you've contributed to, such uh, as The State of Facilitation, published by Session Lab. Uh, I did a post about it, I think, a few days ago. I really like this um, this report. What a career and what an experience. Could you tell me how did you start your career or how, how did you step into facilitation? Yeah, it's always a fun question because um, everyone approaches it differently. Yeah. And especially given the um, lack of really f great formal training and support and facilitation. And that's starting to change uh, lately, but uh, certainly you don't find a lot of programs at university. And um, so my journey was uh, one that started in software development. I was um, uh, writing software when I first graduated from university 
and uh, started some jobs at various startups and quickly found myself in leadership positions. And as a leader, I was not only curious about how we make for um, sustainable and reliable and robust software, but how are we supporting our teams and creating cultures and environments where uh, people do their best work and enjoy doing it in the process. And uh, so that led me to uh, being really curious about a lot of facilitation approaches and techniques. And I didn't really have that facilitation word in my lexicon at the time, right? I was more thinking about, you know, the outcomes and, and how I'm getting these results with the teams and uh, specifically, you know, went through everything from extreme programming to agile and lean design thinking. And fast forward to right before I started Voltage Control and I was uh, running a company. I was CTO at uh, Twyla, which is an art marketplace that was funded by Google Ventures. Mm-hmm. And that's when I got to work directly with the Google Ventures uh, design team and uh, forged a, a really great relationship with Jake Knapp. And uh, so when I was thinking about what I was going to do next, I was piecing it all together. Mm-hmm. And everything that I saw through Jake's eyes around you know, the demand for design sprints, the, the broader interest in facilitation and, um, and my love for helping teams do great work and, and getting the best out of our work environments. Yeah, nice. And this become also a passion. I mean, voltage control, control the room. What makes you so passionate about facilitation? It is the fact that we can all have the techniques and methods to lead a group properly and to get the best out of the of a team. Or what is your passion in it? You know, there's a lot of dynamics at play when it comes to my personal connection to facilitation. Uh, One of them is that I have been a musician since I was a very young lad. Mm -hmm. Um, My mother was a piano player and she imparted a a deep love of music uh, in me. And uh, there's a certain level of performance when it comes into facilitation, how are we bringing a group together and helping them uh, communicate in a, in a really uh, f- fundamental, almost inherent, like natural way the, that the, that the collaboration is just flowing like improv. And so as a musician, um, I did a lot of improv imp- improvising and really uh, enjoyed the dynamics of what a band can create beyond what maybe a solo musician might create and and what are the criteria for getting people communicating in these really kind of deep ways right these connections that establish these relationships that allow us to to function and to to make this great music together so there's the music piece of experiencing that improving, creating art and uh and work together uh, you know, I brought that into the work that I that I did as a professional. There's also and, and there's that kind of performance element because uh, as a facilitator, you know, it allowed me to to kind of come in and light up the room a little bit, but then also step back. So you have to, you, there's that that dynamic of 
how am I uh, creating a little bit of control, but then also ceding control to the room and allowing uh, amazing things to, 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 to merge, which leads me to my second point, which is that I am what I like to refer to as a change junkie. I love change. I love evolving and adapting systems. And if things get too consistent for too long, I start to get antsy. And um, I am a big fan of process, though, because as a software developer and as an engineer and someone who appreciates efficiency and systems, I do like to find patterns and exploit patterns. But also, I'm always curious about what might be next and what might we be able to unravel. And so you combine this deep love of improv and orchestrating and people coming together to make art and and create together with this kind of desire to innovate and this interest in change. And it's really that it's really, that's the intersection of facilitation. Right. And so uh, once I started doing it as a full-time profession and, and training others to do it, uh, it, it, really it was really a pivotal moment for me in my career just saying wow it's like i get to do this all day this is like this is pretty amazing i almost couldn't believe it once i started to realize that there was an actual market and need for this when i was pivoting away from this pure software development yeah i didn't realize that we have so much in common i mean <laughs> i'm a musician too and i'm i'm a lot comparing when we are preparing a song in the room, looking what kind of ingredient sounds you could put in it or beats or whatever, and then coming on the stage and perform and starting slowly, but not too slow that the persons are becoming exciting, like the onboarding on a person in a workshop, for example, and then grow the atmosphere and um, put it down a little bit so that the people can rest. And I always compare the performance and the facilitation part uh, of our job. So it's nice to, to hear it. Since you've created Voltage Control, how many times do, did you start the company? Uh, we started in 2016, so we've been around for a little while now. And we've done a lot of different things, right? Like between... You mentioned the podcast, Control the Room, and we have the Facilitation Summit that is really uh, born out of this desire to stitch together all the different types of facilitation techniques in the world because a lot of folks get really focused on the one type of facilitation or the one discipline they first discover, or the thing that draws them into facilitation, and that becomes their their world worldview. That's how they see facilitation And that can be somewhat limiting. And so we've always taken a method agnostic approach and how do we mix and match different styles and approaches to really create um, that chocolate and peanut butter combination that's so much better than any of the individual pieces. So the, the, you know, the, the summit really celebrates that. And we, we come together once a year to do that. And uh, this year will be our sixth year of doing, doing the conference. And, uh, and then back in, February of this year, February 2023, we uh, we actually announced a pivot away from the uh, actual consulting work. So we're we're doing less and less um, actual facilitation and focusing on our facilitation certification, which is a three month program to help people really go deep on the skills 
and uh, and find their true calling as a facilitator, whether that's as a full-time facilitator or as a consultant. And that's been super rewarding, you know, living through the impact that our uh, alumni have been making in the world. And this certification, it's a, it's a certification you can do, we can do remote or in person? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right now it's, um, it is a, a three-month program and we gather virtually. Mm-hmm. Um, and students can apply the foundations and techniques and whatever ways that are most relevant for them. So we have some students that, you know, are doing a lot of in-person work. And so they're applying the techniques and the fundamentals in in-person gatherings. Some folks are virtual um, exclusively, and so they're applying them virtually. And then some even uh, are applying them hybrid. And what's nice about the three-month program and the cohort uh, and kind of experiential learning is that students – Uh, get exposed to the fundamentals, practice them outside of class, bring them back into the class and say, well, this is what I ran into. And then that's when we can fine tune. Oh, well, if you're going to be in person uh, in this kind of setting with this number of people, these are some things you need to think about. And so that we can bring in the, the real time live coaching Uh, that are specific to what what the students are encountering in the moments, oh. uh, and it all culminates into a um, into a, uh, a portfolio that really um, exemplifies all the hard work they've done and all the skills they built, and that's how we we pass or fail students for the certification is the quality and level of the portfolios they create. Nice. If you're a workshop facilitator and you're struggling to find your own value proposition, the type of workshop you really want to offer, the one that exactly meets the needs of the customers you'd like to work with, or if you want to refine your offering and make it more clear and attractive to your customers, book a free call with me so we can discuss how I can be a sparing partner in one-to-one sessions to guide you towards your ideal offer. All the contact information in the show notes. And since the beginning of uh, voltage control, have you seen an evolution in interest in facilitation skills? Um, Are company realizing the value of these skills? Absolutely. And I've seen it, you know, grow and then plateau a bit because The pandemic really came at a at a time where um, we were starting to see organizations even build uh, facilitation teams mm-hmm. within their organizations that were dedicated resources. And then, of course, the pandemic pushed a big focus around how are we even going to address our remote work. Um, are we going back to the office? Like there's this whole hybrid debate that's still ongoing. Uh, and so I think that that reset some initiatives, especially at really large companies, but we still see a few uh, organizations that have dedicated teams and dedicated resources. And then there are certainly more and more people that are becoming aware of the, the importance of these skills. And, you know, I like to, to, to um, help people understand that 
what we used to refer to as soft skills, which was never a great term. Yeah. Right. It's like, I don't think it really. Mm-hmm. Not, not giving a value. It's like, yeah, soft skills, not giving a value. Yeah. It's like reductive, yeah, right? Yeah. It makes it sound like, oh, these aren't, these are soft, you know, or not, or, or squishy or something. And I think facilitation skills is a much better frame for a large quantity of what people were actually referring to. And um, not only is it um, uh, a better frame, a more productive way to have the conversation, it's actually tangible skills. Because back when we talked about soft skills, it was like, it was actually the way they would train and the way they would help enable people were actually quite squishy, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas if you look at facilitation and the discipline, the skills and tools that can be taught and can be practiced, they're actually a lot more actionable than any of the stuff that we used to refer to as soft skills. So I think shifting that frame to facilitation skills, how they can show up more consistently within your culture is a very helpful reframe for leaders and organizations that want to create better um, cultures and more collaborative cultures. Yeah. And should this, Tangible skills be given only to specific persons dedicated to facilitation in companies. Because I was a former consultant, but also a former project manager working with interdisciplinary teams from engineering to assembly to purchase departments. And as I discover facilitation and the techniques, I was thinking, yeah, actually, each leader, manager, each person who is working with a group should get these skills. This is a must-have. It should not, in my opinion, it should not be only dedicated to specific facilitators. Absolutely. That's why I was talking about more collaborative cultures and creating environments for better work. And, you know, ultimately, you know, what this allows is for people to uh, begin to love their jobs, you know, instead of, it's like interesting story. I was, uh, saw this TikTok video where this guy was in his car and he's like, this is my daily ritual before I go to work. And then he just starts crying. Like, uh, (laughs) like, and, and it was like really intense to think about like, you know, it's, uh, uh, he, it was, he was trying to be a bit facetious, but uh, it's really sad to think about, like, you know, people uh, being in a state of, I'm going to cry before I go to work. That's just like, that's, that's, my, that's my outlook on the way work is. And I think, you know, that might be a bit of an exaggeration for, for folks. Other folks, that might be spot on true. But even if it's like um, an exaggeration, if people are even feeling remotely like that, that's not ideal and we should work to, to correct it. And the, the way we work to correct it is to help everyone in the organization have a vocabulary around how to collaborate better and facilitation skills at the core of this. Because even if you're not calling the meeting, you um, as a participant can show up in ways that are more helpful, that are more knowledgeable. When we have a shared vocabulary around how to show up and um, and get the most out of our culture, the mo- most out of our work together, then we elevate everyone, and that's really powerful. And I think organizations aren't even aware of how much uh, more they can get out of 
the projects that they're working on and have people feel renewed and excited at the same time. And I think um, to your point, it's, it's not just for people that are having the meetings or people who think of themselves as a facilitator. That's why we talk about facilitation skills a lot. And the last thing I'll say on that is a quote from the book you mentioned, Magical Meetings, is um, there's no such thing as bad meetings, just bad facilitators. And so if you're in a bad meeting, there's someone to blame. (laughs) (laughs) And the way that we fix that is by learning facilitation skills. Yeah. And maybe in a few years, uh, facilitation will be teached at university, like the techniques of ne- negotiations, for example. I mean, yes. when you are in business business schools or learning project management or whatever, you always have a class about how to negotiate with a, with a customer or with a supplier, but there is nothing about facilitation. So it might be the future. Oh, yeah. It's- it is definitely the future, and we've uh, we've we've launched a few partnerships. So there's there's a few universities that are um, offering our certification. Oh, nice! Which is pretty exciting. We're excited to 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 build that out more, and because um, we had to start young. You know, if folks are entering the workspace, well, if folks are entering the workforce. And they already have an understanding of facilitation. It's that shared vocabulary I was talking about. Then it, it will impact the culture in profound ways, even if they're not the ones running the meetings, because they will be able to help nudge and guide and also just demand bet more. Yeah, exactly. And it's also a way as a as a beginner in a company, whatever your your position. But when you are a beginner, you don't have all the expertise. So what a great way to get the expertise to be the owner of the process who is uh, yeah. bringing the people who have the experience to bring their ideas because I think this is also a very good way to learn for for these young people coming in companies and find an intermediate uh, role to build their own experience. Hi, I'm Katrin Sievers from Facilitators Connect and I have something for you. If you are an entrepreneur in the field of facilitation, keep your ears wide open. There is an event that you should not miss if you want to scale up your business and leverage your skills. It's called Facilitators Connect and it is a retreat which will take place from the 11th until the 15th of September in the Netherlands. Five intense days with top speakers who will hold exclusive workshops where you will get the most out of your own positioning but also your sales and marketing strategy. With speakers such as Ahmad Munawar, Axel Van Kuali, and the well-known Brittany Bowring. Grab your coupon in the show notes to get a special discount. Sign up super quick on facilitatorsconnect.com and join 40 facilitators from all over the world for five intense days for your business, for your network, with like-minded people, but most of all, for yourself. See you soon. Talking about companies, I mean, you are working with a lot of companies and I would like to refer a little bit to your book, Magical Meetings. Companies are facing so much change um, in the last years. Um, I mean, through the pandemic, of course, remote teams, 
um, change all in the organizations, new technologies like AI. And I, I have the feeling that they are pushing a lot to be on trend, to have um, the best knowledge about everything what is happening. But there is this habit that seems to stick in the companies, this habit of meetings Uh, which have been more and more during the pandemic and which have mm. not been more efficient. Since you wrote this book, why do you think this habit is so hard to, yeah, to change? And how do you help companies to change it? Because this is really a transformation. There's a lot of reasons why people have just back-to-back -back meetings every day, or are just suffering through really poor meetings. And you know, that was really the impetus for the book Magical Meetings is how do we offer some real actionable advice on how to um, approach those problems. And they're really, it, it's a complex problem in the sense that there is no just one, there's not just one thing that we can point to and say, hey, this is the cause, right? Because... Uh, Everyone is, you know, inundated with lots of different choices and they've got lots of different priorities. And then once you put all that together, it becomes an equation that, you know, you have to be thoughtful about and mindful about. And I think therein lies the problem because everyone's just on the hamster wheel. They're just on that, you know, uh, repeating, moving sidewalk and they just jump on and it's kind of it's just happening to them. And, you know, if folks take nothing else away from the book with regards to this question, I think it's that they need to take a more reflective um, stance and be more proactive about how they think about meetings and the, how they think about collaboration in their companies and not let it go to chance. Because so often people say, oh, let's just meet about that or, um, or they just say yes to inbound requests. Um, and sometimes that's... Um, out of, you know, just in lack of time to do the diligence to make sure to decide if I really should be there. And then it might be somewhat laziness. It may be even a misunderstanding. Like, I'm not even sure what this meeting is about, but I'll just go there to figure it out, right? Because there's no time to figure it out on the outsides. And so taking the time to be reflective of like, what's serving us, what's not serving us, What, what are we really intending to do? What's most important and most critical right now? Coming back to that purpose piece, if we're not clear at the, on the company objectives and goals, then how do we know how we should show up? And then if we have a meeting culture where it, not being in the meeting is not going to negatively affect you, <laughs> right? Because oftentimes there's this political game of like be, showing up and being there is how you kind of navigate the system. Yeah. And that's, that's insidious too, right? And so there's so many layers we have to tend to, and we can't dismantle that stuff unless we are really intentional and really reflective and really examine it. But oftentimes people don't want to take the time to do that because it, it takes a lot of effort. But the, once you put the effort in, then you start to reap a lot of benefits because it starts like the benefits start to compound. So you take a little bit of a penalty up front But then over time, it really, really starts to grow. So, you know, I, I think that our meeting mantras are a great place to start, right? No purpose, no meeting. Do the work in the meeting. Don't have the meeting yeah. be a place that we just talk about the things we're going to do. Let's bring the work in 
un- bring a document in and bring a Figma in, bring a mural or a Miro, actually sit there in front of the Google Slides um, presentation or the PowerPoint or whatever it is, move it together, tweak it together, react in real time. You'll get so much faster feedback. You can iterate faster. And um, and then everyone's really clear. You don't have to like get alignment after the fact. So that's a big one. And then also, um, you know, we have a policy at, Vol- at Voltage Control. All meetings are optional. And so if you don't feel like you can provide value in that meeting or that meeting is not going to bring value to you, then definitely do not attend. But be gracious. Like let your um, meeting host, your facilitator know that you can't come and why and have some exchange there because there may be a miscommunicated purpose. And so if we communicate about that, we might be able to clarify that purpose further. And then there might, and we might, it might become obvious why we need to be there. And then that helps other attendees too. So that purpose piece tends to ripple out across not only the, the, um, one attendee or the planning or whatnot. It's like, it has a broad impact on the success of the meeting and more generally the organization. Yeah. What do you think about some companies who are putting some clock and dollars about uh, how many cost meeting so that the employees ask themselves of if a meeting is needed? I love it. I mean, I, I think that um, look, there's a reason why Jake designed the design sprint with seven people. Mm-hmm. Because once you start getting over, and, you know, Priya Parker even talks about this. You have a dinner party with, with uh, more than like seven, ten people. It starts to split into two different conversations. Because the table is just too big, right? You can't have it, – it, it eventually evolves into two separate meetings. Or, or someone's like, you know, not getting their voice heard – They get disconnected. Maybe they didn't really need to be there. And now they're off like working on a PowerPoint for some other thing. They'd probably be way more efficient at that PowerPoint if they weren't in the meeting. And then also, what about the other participants that are watching that person that's distracted and doing something else? Does that breed discontent? Whatever, right? And so the meeting calculator um, cost can be really a great reminder in the moment like, oh, wait, this meeting is getting really expensive like, is there value in this thing? Do I have too many people in it? And have I clarified the value? Because sometimes we haven't even clarified the value to ourselves mm-hmm. of why we're having it, you know? It's, and, you know, that often happens when we have these meetings that are just like on autopilot, the recurring meetings that, you know, we, we've ritualized and they kind of outlived their, their, their necessity. Yeah, true. It's only have to be really good communicate because um, I saw some article about about the employees who are feared then to make meetings and um, and mm. then not doing meetings that actually should be uh, very valuable. So I think all these instruments that I put in place have to be really good communicating which way we means that you have to look at. And uh... and incentives have a way of sometimes backfiring on us, right? Yeah. And so how are we being mindful of the negative consequences of, of these tools? The thing I've seen is that oftentimes people are just really too um, ambitious about, yeah. 
the scheduling meetings. And so anything to kind of curb that tendency is helpful. But in practice, I haven't seen people being super reticent about meetings. The main thing I've seen there is when there's poor psychological safety in an organization. And so folks are afraid to schedule meetings with certain people or afraid to schedule the wrong meeting or do something wrong because there'll be, you know, there's some punitive action or they're afraid there might be, or there might be ridiculed or whatnot. And so um, that's like really critical. And to your point, if you are going to bring in these tools, how are we communicating them in a positive light and say, they're here to help us not to prevent us from being together. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so, so much, Douglas, for your time. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure chatting with you and great questions. And I can tell that there's a keen interest and love of facilitation. So that's always exciting to speak with people that are uh, clearly into the work and passionate about it because it's a passion that I share as well. And um So I I wish you all the best in your pursuits as a facilitator. And uh, hopefully together we can help people in the world understand the power of facilitation skills and and maybe improve the work spaces that exist throughout the world. Thank you very much. And there you have it, my friends. I hope this episode has sparked that inspiring light within you and provided you with precious insights into the remarkable world of facilitation. Your thoughts and musings, they mean the world to me. So share with me your takeaways and experiences freely. You can drop your comments directly in your podcast player or connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm all ears and excited to continue our conversation. If you're ready to take your exploration of facilitation and leadership to the next level, head over to the Voltage Control homepage. There you'll find a diverse range of courses, workshops, and certification programs crafted with care for facilitators and leaders who are driven to make a difference. And make sure not to miss out on listening to the Control the Room podcast. By the way, all the links and details we've discussed today are nestled within the episode's show notes. In the upcoming episode, get ready to meet Boris Petrovich Niergovs, the mastermind behind Interstellar, a consultancy agency focused on innovation and collective intelligence. Boris, alongside with a skilled team of designers and facilitators, has achieved something truly remarkable. They're crafting a workshop system platform named Rsprint, designed to reshape how workshops are created and designed easily. This platform is like a facilitator's best friend. It's all about making your life easier and turning workshop preparation into a breeze. Until then, I wish you success, a good health, and a lot of happiness. Au revoir.